Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Of Divorce Redefined. I am so honored to be here with you every week and as part of Voice America's, Voice America's Empowerment Channel, and especially to be with you. On this show every week, if you haven't joined us before, we dig deep into a topic that many of us feel uncomfortable about, a topic highly stigmatized in our society and a topic that triggers even those of us who have gone through it and are well on the other side. And that is a topic of divorce. One of my driving missions and what inspired me to start my divorce coaching practice is to increase the knowledge and understanding of both marriage and separation. When I found myself going through divorce in my early 40s, it was embarrassing and it was shocking and terrifying to discover how truly little I knew about the legal implications of marriage and what divorce actually entailed. So I decided to create the support that I needed when I was going through it, because I truly believe that if we can get more resources and better professionals in front of those of you who are going through hard times like divorce and try to navigate it in a better and different way, the entire foundation of our marriages and our relationships can start to change. And that's what I've discovered that I've been put on this earth to do. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it took me getting divorced to realize and actualize it. There is always a reason that things happen in our lives. And this was that reason for me. I was put on this earth to give others who are going through divorce better support, shifted perspectives and actionable resources so that you can handle the process in a better way. It's my mission to make talking about divorce less taboo, less shameful, and to normalize the conversations around it. So this is a non-judgmental safe space for you to learn, grow, be vulnerable, feel connected, make human mistakes, and above all, to feel like you are not alone. So we are going to have hard conversations, and that's why we're here. Conversations that are vulnerable and deep and sometimes really messy, but that's what relationships are all about. Whether it be a marriage or a long-term commitment, going forward on this journey, I'm going to be introducing you to so many incredible humans who have so much insight and advice to share because we're all on this journey together of bettering ourselves and supporting each other while we're doing it. And as a divorce coach, I'll just get one thing straight. If anyone who knows me already, you already know that I'm in no way an advocate of divorce. What I am is pro-happiness, pro-empowerment, pro-mental and emotional health, pro-healthy relationships. And I'm also a huge pro of doing self-work and the self-work that it takes to create the kind of relationship that we want and how to show up in that relationship the best that we can. So today is all about relationships, and we're going to talk about our relational programming and how our own patterns show up in our marriages and can affect how our marriages proceed. 
And I have a special guest here with me today. She's a licensed professional counselor and owns two private practices in Arizona. She has a doctoral degree in psychology, as well as a master's degree in professional counseling. She is trained in various therapeutic modalities and specializes in relationships, trauma, depression, and anxiety. In addition to providing these therapeutic services, she teaches psychology courses for Grand Canyon University, and she hosts her own mental health talk show and podcast called Calm, Cool, and Connected. She is also featured on various other media outlets. So it's my honor and pleasure to introduce to you today, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. Welcome. Hello, Cindy. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. I know. It's so exciting to have you. I follow you on Instagram and I forget how we initially got connected, but I thought I saw your stuff and I'm like, yes, every post was like, yes, yes, exactly. You know, and being in the world of divorce, so much of, you know, my focus and what I do starts with like looking at that relationship because we're here because something in the relationship broke down, you know, right. and, and whether it's one person deciding to leave a marriage and really at the end of the day, it's two people who have come together and have brought their own pasts and patterns with them. Right. So Absolutely. I want yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about what you specialize in because you use a term called relational programming to describe the impact of our upbringing on the way that we show up in relationships. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what that means? What is relational programming? Absolutely. So I use the term relational programming to describe um, how our upbringing, how our interactions with our primary caregivers starting in infancy truly influences how we relate today. And so the reason I use the term programming is because if you think about it in terms of um, a computer and how it's coded and when, you know, you put in a certain input and that provides the output. And so when we think about as children, as being the same way that we were programmed. So the interactions we had with our caregivers um, really was the input. And now today in our adult, adult relationships, we're seeing the output of that. And so those interactions, whether our caregivers were uh, kind and nurturing, warm, attentive versus if maybe neglectful or uh, emotionally unavailable or even abusive, that really sets the foundation for what we come to expect out of relationships later on in, in to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And that's so, because that's what we know, right? That's exactly the kind of patterns and relationships that we start to learn from. And so that programming, how does that impact how we then choose relationships, even probably from a really young age, when we're first in our 20s, even maybe before when we start to pick our first partners, right? right? How does that programming impact those choices? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. I mean, it starts right away. It could even start with the friendships that we start to form early on, but then those romantic relationships um, starting in high school. And so when I'm working with clients, we do a timeline activity pretty much right out the gate where we're exploring what are some of these significant events that took place? But also we talk about significant relationships because we start to pick up on themes of how those interactions with their caregivers um, really set the stage for our core beliefs about ourselves. And so, like I described earlier, with these different types of parenting, and I really like to stress, there's certainly somewhere along, it's along the spectrum, right? So it's not usually, not usually to those extremes, but it can be, but it's 
somewhere along the spectrum of a parent leaning more towards being more emotionally available or not. Mm-hmm. So when we are, when that becomes our norm, and like I was saying, when we come to expect that out of relationships, that's how it influences what we choose because the brain seeks out what seeks out what is familiar. And so if we think that that's how a relationship operates and that is a normal aspect maybe of somebody being inconsistent with the attention they give to us or um, being critical or, you know, all these various things that we see that create conflict in adult relationships. Well, that's familiar. And so we might say, I, I call it often our uncomfortable comfort zone. So it creates discomfort, it creates conflict, but it's also what we know. Mm-hmm. It, and how do we identify that? Like I'm thinking about, I remember going to therapy once and finally looking at, you know, my past and the attachment styles that I had created with my parents, which my therapist was like, you know, that you recreated this attachment style in your marriage. Right. And this is how I'm like, what? I was trying to do everything opposite of that. Right. And we yes. think we're trying to pick something opposite of our own father or own mother, but it actually seems to prove otherwise. No. Well, and that's where the programming piece comes in is that when you are programmed a certain way, when you are coded a certain way, you can try to choose differently, but until you reprogram, which is really the basis of why also I use that terminology, because there, there has to be some hope, right? That we can, we can change, we can heal and we can do differently. And so that's where the reprogramming of that comes in. But to your point of that, until we recognize the programming and make these conscious efforts to reprogram, we may choose someone who we think is different, but there's going to be, there's going to be qualities that are familiar And furthermore, the way we learn to behave in relationships through those role models, so those role models may have been really unhealthy, and so we think, okay, we're going to choose better, but unfortunately, we go into the relationship with how we know how to interact in relationships, and so... If it's um, being conflict avoidant or uh, being explosive in conflict, all of these tendencies we carry with us. And so your therapist is absolutely right. We tend to recreate it because, quite frankly, it's all we know. It's comfortable, even though sometimes it's not a healthy scenario, right? Yes, it's familiar. Yeah. But creates discomfort. So how do you go about recognizing what that relational pattern is or like even that attachment style? Because there are different attachment styles that we form, right? And if we're in a marriage or a relationship and things aren't working, how do we know, how do we know what we are and how this is showing up for us? Right. And so the attachment styles that, that would be um, another, just another terminology for the relational programming, similar concept. And so with the attachment styles, there are, um, there's the anxious attachment, avoidant, they're disorganized and then secure. And so with those attachment styles, we, so there's quizzes that you can do um, online. There's um, Diane Poole Heller. She wrote a book, Healing Your Attachment Wounds, which is um, I think only on Audible. I think it's only an audio book. I recommend that to almost all of my clients that if, you know, for your audience listening right now, one of the primary takeaways of today would be pick up that book. If you are struggling with Uh, toxic patterns in your relationships, because she really breaks down um, what the attachment styles are, 
how they developed. But then what I love about what she provides, it's what also to do about it. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of books will say, yeah, you're, you're kind of messed up and here's why, mm-hmm. um, but then they don't provide the follow-up of what to do. And so through taking those quizzes, but then the timeline activity I was telling you about when we start at birth and I, I ask who was living in the home? What do you know about the dynamic between the people living in the home, your parents, um, who is your primary caretaker? And then we explore that onward, we can start to pick up on themes of um, these beliefs of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I can't do anything right. You know, we pick Mm -hmm. up, that's the first step of awareness to know what are the negative core beliefs that you're operating on and what is your attachment style. And that has to be the basis of the work. So there is ways to, you know, you don't have to go hire a therapist right now and try to figure out what you are, right? But there are other ways. Sure. And there certainly are. And that can be helpful. Um, the the problem when trying to do it on your own that comes in is the what to do about it. Mm. That's where a therapist really is helpful, but not just any therapist, a therapist that really specializes and is trained in attachment theory and trained in um, emotionally focused therapy, really these modalities that are effective for creating change. Um, Because unfortunately, a lot of couples counselors focus on communication skills, um, which as we know, is just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. That's so true because I, you know, I've done a lot of work in like the area of, of John Gottman and the Gottman Institute, and they're very much, you know, focused on our communication styles, right? Like they've, he's got those, that four horsemen of the apocalypse mm-hmm. and it's great to know how to communicate. Like I can say definitely that at least three of, or if not all four of those showed up in my marriage big time in terms of poor communication styles, but it does. Let's go back to those attachment styles and how you operate within that relationship. And then what happens when you're dealing with something that's not working, you know, how it really impacts the the health and quality of your relationship. It's one thing to be able to communicate, but it's another to have that maybe anxious attachment that you're showing up in a different way or you're avoidant with, with issues and conflict, you know? And so you have adaptive mechanisms that show up for you. And you talk a little bit about that. I think adaptive child is what you call it. Right. So what does that mean? And obviously everything that we are now, it comes from like that childhood place. How is that form? Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah. So the adaptive child is a term I use to describe um, the, traits, the characteristics, uh, the the tools that we developed in childhood as a means of survival. So when we think about these different parenting types and we think about um, maybe more on the end of the spectrum of whether it's emotional neglect or to to the end of abuse, we as children have to figure out how to survive that environment. And so what does that mean for us? Does that mean we spend most of our time hiding in our room away from home? avoidance? Does it mean that we spend time um, kind of fawning over our parents and trying to be perfectionists and trying to, if we can just perform enough, they'll see us, they'll accept us. Anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the adaptive of, okay, I'm going to try to do this one thing, which is maybe I'm going to try to fawn. I'm going to try to be good enough. And when that doesn't work, I'm going to flee. um, Because it's not safe. And that creates some of that disorganized. And so the adaptive child is that we had to learn how to keep ourselves safe. 
But the problem comes in and into adulthood, our brain is still wired to say you have to keep yourself safe. But the difference is it's we're no longer powerless. We we do have options a lot more in adulthood than we did as a child. And so these adaptive traits that were once beneficial to keep us safe actually become incredibly maladaptive in adulthood. And they are what cause a great deal of, of the conflict and turmoil in relationships. And so how that once worked to maybe leave the house when you're feeling unsafe as a child, you know, go play with your friend up the street or something. Now in adulthood, when there's conflict and your tendency is to leave the house, think about what that does for the, the individual with the anxious attachment style who is like, come here, come here, come here, and, and you remove yourself. And that then just exacerbates all of the anxious attachment. And so then for them, what's, what was once helpful of the fawning or the um, over being over attentive is just pushing the avoidant further away. And so yeah. the tendencies that were once helpful are actually often the crux of the issue in adulthood. Isn't that, yeah, isn't that crazy? And like so many of things, memories actually are coming flooding back to me when you were talking about that, because I grew up with, you know, my dad was very much like conflict avoidant. And so it was, I wouldn't say high conflict, but we, communication was like none. So if we ever did something that upset him, it would go into this almost like a stonewalling avoidant. We're not having this conversation. In fact, we're not speaking for a couple of days, right? It's almost like the push away. And so it creates this level of attachment or anxiousness in you thinking, you know, you're going to be rejected or you have been, and you're not really allowed to speak your, your truth. And so going through, you know, even in my marriage, it didn't, it wasn't as extreme, but it was exactly that too. Being able to voice my feelings or my emotions were like shut down or like a wall would go up because it wasn't getting any further. And so you retreat, you know, and so it's not working. And so you tend to have this like crazy level of anxiety. What am I going to do about this? How am I getting through to this person? Because maybe it's my communication style. Like maybe I'm not expressing myself right because it's not going in and this person is just shutting me out or shutting me down. Down. And so figuring out, you know, those patterns, I mean, I'm, I didn't figure those out until I was like after divorce. <laughs> you know? And the hardest part is that we can figure them out and sometimes we still don't know what to do with them. And so mm-hmm. much insight and awareness around this is how I'm now showing up in relationships and this is where it came from. But so many of my clients say, but, but what, what can I do about it? How can I change it? And that's, I think where the feeling of desperation starts to kick in um, and why relationships are such a hot topic because we all are in them. And most of us are dealing with maladaptive traits that are creating these, as you're describing these cycles um, of toxicity that we really were stuck in. And how do we identify what those are? Because if I think about like a lot of people think, oh, but my attachment style of my parents is healthy. You know, so you, you see a lot of adults who have this really close, almost codependent relationship with their families, whether it be with their parents or with a sibling. And that's supposed to be healthy, right? Like where you do everything with that family, like really intensely almost all the time. And then you have the another side, like I'm on the other side of the spectrum in a way where my parents were supportive, but it was kind of like, you grow up and you leave the nest, little birds, like go ahead on your own, free yourself. 
you know? Right. And so I'm not, none of us are at all dependent on each other or our parents for that emotional support. But you look at like what, at what point on the spectrum is is healthy and what is unhealthy. And even as a parent, how do you go about with that conscious awareness of what you're creating now for your own child? Right. And I, I talk a lot about like either end of the spectrum is dysfunction. And so our goal should be the gray. And mm-hmm. so that's where is the in-between, where is the, we can rely on each other for support, but we're not enmeshed in each other. We can show up for each other when needed, but we're not codependent. And it's hard to find that in between. It's hard to find the gray area. Um, but that is where that is where we're functional. That is that is the healthy is when you find the in-between. But you're right. I think from a societal perspective, often those families who spend all that time together and who are enmeshed for whatever reason are looked at as the healthy families are looking mm-hmm. though they have it all figured out. They all get along. And um, usually what's actually going on is as you described the codependency, but also a lot of um, blurred boundaries and the, the, the anxious attachment of just constantly needing to please each other because being afraid of if they don't. And so mm-hmm. children, for me, it's been a lot of reflection on what is my relational programming um, and how can I do that different with him, but without going to the other end of the spectrum, which is very common. Yeah. Cause you want to be that parent who's, you know, supportive of your child emotionally, but also allowing them wings to be independent. But you do see a lot of, I mean, at least I do see a lot of parents these days that really want their kids to constantly be needing them. Like we need to be needed and we need to have this close family knit relationship. And I, you can't really do much more without me. And we need to have this, you know, this relationship where we talk every day or we talk many times a day and we do Sunday dinners every single week. And I totally appreciate the need for family involved. Um, but sometimes I feel like we're creating this, this pattern that's going to be difficult to recreate in our marriages. And it might put strain on a relationship because you do see families getting in the middle of marriages. You know, when you have a parent who's, you know, always around or family members who are really involved in your life. And now you're not married only to this one person, but you're not married to your entire family. They come as a package, you know, Right. And the goal really is the interdependence. And so that's with all the relationships in our lives, but especially with our romantic relationships and, and the, an inner, an interdependent relationship is where you can be you and I can be me. And then together we can be a we mm-hmm. and is the same for a parent child relationship where a child should have the freedom to explore who they are, to be given, um, given the opportunity to mess up, to make their own choices, to engage in that a development, developmentally appropriate exploration, which where a lot of these helicopter parents or what we're now even calling lawnmower parents, where it's just bulldozing everything over for their child, um, that doesn't create opportunity for that. And the problem comes in, and I think why we see a lot of the enmeshment once the adult once the child becomes an adult but is still really enmeshed with their family because they haven't developed their own problem solving skills they haven't been given you know the confidence to figure things out on their own and so then they continue to rely on their family 
I'd love to be able to just like, let's shift this back to relationships for a second and maybe look at how these attachments style or relational programming patterns show up. So if you're, you know, let's say you're struggling in your marriage, how do these patterns, what do they look like? Like if you are really struggling and you're in a bad place and in the two of you aren't getting along, what are some signs that you can see? Okay. This is my relational pattern showing up right now. Yeah. And so I have people start to track how they respond to conflict or to also track when they're getting triggered. And so uh, we break it down by talking about what is even the physiological response in your body when you're feeling triggered by something with your partner. And so that you can start becoming more aware. Okay. My stomach is feeling in that way. And so I, I use the three W's with my client. The first being what's going on. You check in with your body. So where is it coming from? So assessing, did we just have a conflict? Am I anticipating conflict? Am I worried about something? And the third W being, what do I need? And so part of that is that might be a coping skill to regulate. That might be having an open conversation with your partner. Um, but that's a really good place to start to track. Okay, what are the some of my common behaviors? And so determining, am I more anxious? Um, do I tend to like chase my partner when I'm feeling worried about what's going on in the relationship? Am I more avoidant where if I'm feeling nervous about this current state, do I push them away? Um by tracking those behaviors, we get to start to see, okay, this is your pattern. And so this is, this is what you're, you're facing. Um, and then we have to work to address it. And which is really uncomfortable to try to do, not do what our adaptive child is pulling us to do. Yeah. And being, yeah, being able to identify that because that really does take a certain level of awareness to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Or when you're in your relationship pattern and you start to be really like really clingy or super, super avoidant, or you know, you you tend to flee to like what we said earlier, because sometimes yeah. you just want to get out of the get out of the the situation because it's just too difficult to deal with. And so in those moments, you think, okay, where is this coming from? Why am I feeling this way? But also knowing the tools, like you said earlier with that book that you recommended, knowing what to do when you notice those show up, because we don't often sit down and really give ourselves like a once over with, okay, what am I doing here? Where, like, how am I showing up right now? And is this something I need to go a little bit deeper in, right? Right. And that's where the three W's can be so helpful because what's going on, where's it coming from? And then what do I need? Well, often the, what do I need is if my tendency is to go send like the fifth or sixth text, because I haven't heard back yet, um, maybe I'm not going to do that. Maybe that's not what I need in this moment, you know, or if my tendency is, um, I'm just going to ignore them because they're overwhelming me. Okay. Well, that's not going to help move the rela the relationship in the right direction. And so once you have the awareness of what are your tendencies, when you can sense you're getting triggered, the goal is to then not allow yourself to give in to those maladaptive tendencies. Yeah, I love that. And we're going to, we're just going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. And to those who are listening, please go out, go and check out Dr. Elizabeth's Instagram at Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick or at Evolve Counseling underscore AZ. And her website is evolvecounseling.com. We will be right back after a short break. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. If you have a question for Cindy or her guests, join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Here is Cindy Stibbard. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Divorce Redefined. Um, I am here with Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. She's a licensed professional counselor and owns two private practices in Arizona. And we are just talking about relationships and our relational patterning and how that shows up in our current adult relationships. And we just left um, before the break talking about how to identify how your relational patterns show up in our relationships. And we want to touch on something that you call the infinity loop as we continue this talk. So tell us more or tell, tell the listeners more about what the infinity loop is. Yeah. So the infinity loop is something developed through emotionally focused therapy, which is a a couple's modality that's founded in attachment. And the purpose of this approach, which I've seen be so beneficial for clients, it's there's an image and you can actually Google it and find the image for for people who are listening Um, and you fill in. So it's it's the infinity loop. It's the shape of that. And you fill in these key aspects along the loop which help you to recognize the cycle that you get caught in. And so there's half of the loop is for partner A and then the other half of the loop is partner B. And where it starts is that when a trigger happens, so going back to how communication skills only can take us so far, um, the problem is a trigger might happen because um, maybe the dishwasher wasn't loaded in just the right way, right? And so partner B says to partner A, like, hey, next time, you know, when you do it this way, it drives me crazy next time, do it differently. And so what that might create, we, on the surface, it's a dishwasher, you know, get over it. (laughs) That's never actually the case. Yeah. And so what that's creating is, is it's creating a trigger, a very deep, uh, core belief has been brought up for the partner who's feeling criticized. And so maybe that deep belief is I'm not good enough. And here's just another example of I'm not good enough for you. I can't do anything right. 
And so the the loop, and I won't take the time to go through each step. It would be time consuming to do so. But the next step is it takes you to how do how does that manifest? So mm-hmm. you have this deep trigger. What do you tend to do? Maybe you tend to lash out. Um, what is your belief about yourself? What is your belief about your partner? And then it brings it back around to what, however you ultimately end up responding to that often is then triggering partner B's deep seated core beliefs of, um, see, you're, you just reject me all the time. I'm not lovable. I'm easy to reject because maybe that's what partner A, they felt criticized. And so maybe their response was maybe they're the avoidant. And so they withdrew. And so instead of sitting on the couch, snuggling that night, they went off into their office. Right. And so now partner B is like, yep, see, I'm not lovable. You just rejected me yet again. And then their whole cycle continues. And it's just fascinating to see how it plays out in, in anywhere from these big decisions to these, the dishwasher that we get stuck in the same cycle. Oh my gosh. That is such true. I feel like you're talking about my marriage. (laughs) You know, I, because you don't really know what's going on for you in that time. And by the time you're getting to that place where it is about the dishwasher, or it is about why aren't you putting the recycling in the recycling bin that's literally right next to where you put your recycling can, right? Like yeah. it's so much more than that. But if I think about back to fights like that, that and patterns like that, you don't know at the time that it is because you feel unworthy or unloved or, un, you know, disrespected and you're looking for some un- underlying need. So you end up having these, you know, nitpicky fights about the stupidest things and they swirl kind of out of control. And I remember my ex-husband saying, okay, this had nothing to do with the garbage or whatever. I'm like, it didn't, but I, we didn't find out that until like way later because- right. You don't actually know what it is that's showing up for you. So, I mean, couples all over the place, whether you're happy or you're in an unhappy marriage, you're going to have arguments and you're going to talk about stupid things like the dishwasher. It just is. So when you notice yourself doing this, you know, what advice do you have for couples in that moment to kind of stop and recheck that? Because those things are what end end up causing even bigger issues because you're not identifying what's underlying them, right? Absolutely. Um, Sue Johnson has a really good book, Hold Me Tight. And yeah, I know that one. Yes. And she really breaks this down. She talks about it in terms of like, it's the tango that couples engage in and that it's always something deeper. And so that's a great recommendation as well um, to provide further insight on this topic. But what I often suggest for when I'm doing couples work is put that infinity loop like on your fridge or somewhere where you can see it. And so when you are starting to feel that discomfort, that agitation or whatever that is towards your partner, you can use those three W's to help, you know, what's going on, where's it coming from? What do I need to kind of assess? But then that gives you enough space to then look at that loop and try to figure out what is actually going on here. Because a lot of times if we just take, take a beat to do that, if we just slow down and, and take a second to think, okay, why did that make me so irritated when he didn't put his trash away? Okay, because I felt disrespected. I feel taken advantage of him by him frequently. I feel used. I feel like a function to him. You know, we could go down this whole list and 
When you have that awareness, you can then bring it to your partner in a different way. Now, this is where communication skills then do come in, you know, handy and are necessary because we can then use the I statement in that moment of I felt really disrespected when you left your can there because then ultimately I end up picking it up and that hurts my feelings that you know, however, however else that conversation goes. And so instead of saying, you're so lazy, you can't ever throw your can away. You're coming at it from the angle of, I felt hurt that I'm ultimately going to end up having to put your can away. Oh, yes. I love how that it bridges that gap. And that is where the communication skills come in. Because you could have one partner who all of a sudden identifies that underlying need, you know, and especially as a mom, a lot of those, those underlying things are I'm feeling taken advantage of. I'm feeling disrespected. I'm feeling unseen. I'm feeling unheard. And instead of turning it around, which I think so many people do, they turn it around by you aren't ABCing or you aren't listening to me. And then if your spouse doesn't really, isn't kind of there on the same page with you, with you about identifying yourself, you know, a lot of times they'll be like, oh, come on. Like, how do you feel disrespected? Of course I respect you. And I look, look all these things I provide for you. And of course you're important. And so it's, it's invalidated how you're feeling, but I think shifting that right there in that moment, that communication style into the I statements is so huge because you no longer are accusing them of doing something to you, but you are taking responsibility for how you are feeling in this moment and just sharing it instead of creating it to be this, you know, like a confrontation, right? Right. Instead of personalizing it and mm-hmm. creating an unnecessary attack out of it, you are saying, this is my experience in the moment. And then the other communication skill that is so crucial, these are when I talk about communication skills, these are the two that I focus most my time on um, in addition to the the attachment work is the I statement and then the validation. Because like you said, we can feel so invalidated, especially if we address something with an attack, with a you did this. The odds are we are going to be invalidated because that other person feels the need in that moment to defend themselves. Their adaptive child gets triggered and they're not feeling safe. And so they have to do what they feel they have to do, what is necessary to keep themselves safe, which is defending themselves. But if you come at it from the angle of, I felt hurt when, that gives the other partner space to validate you appropriately. And validation is twofold because it really should include reflection Um, So a reflective statement of what you're hearing, which gives your partner the opportunity to correct if that's not actually what is going on. And then the validation of you get it. So you're feeling really hurt that I didn't put my trash away. That's making you feel used. And like, I take advantage of you. I hear that. That wasn't my intention. I'm so sorry. I will work to do better. Yeah. And it's not only realizing that, right? Like only is that easy. And it's not, uh, it's not internalizing that, you know, as an attack. I think so many people can feel immediately defensive that you're attacking me. I'm internalizing this instead of just looking at the behavior and not the person. I'm not saying that you're a bad human. I'm not saying you're a terrible husband or a terrible wife. I'm saying that it's this behavior in the moment that is making me feel a certain way. That's exactly 
you had had an Instagram um, post, which I loved. And it was about, you'd said something like apologizing and then justifying your behavior when you've been triggered or hurt is a bullshit apology. So I feel yes. like this kind of fits in with that, right? Because if you're triggered and then you behave in a certain way to your spouse or, you know, you treat them like crap and then you go back and say, oh, well, I'm sorry, but I was triggered in that moment. Yeah, which we see so commonly take place. It, it is so common where, especially, you know, what's so interesting as, as I do work with couples or even with the individual on relationship work, and they become more aware of the infinity loop and they become more aware of the three W's. And so their attachment style. So they're really in tune, right? Of when this happened, this is how it made me feel. And so it's easy to then feel justified that, okay, well, I did behave that way, but you triggered my childhood wound. And so I was justified in lashing out, which is, is never the case. We're not ever justified in hurting another individual because we're hurting. And so for you to be able to acknowledge, it doesn't matter why I spoke to you that way. It was wrong. Um, that's going to always go a whole lot further than trying to justify where it came from. Totally. And you're right. We see that all the time. Like we will snap at our spouses or our partners of like, well, I'm having a rough day, you know, type of thing. Well, that's fine, (laughs) but it doesn't give you free way to just treat me that way. And I think that can also show up with our kids as well, or the way that we treat our kids. Like a mom is overworked. She's having a rough day. She's snapping at everyone else. And then, oh, I'm so sorry for behaving that way. But on a bigger scale, you know, that shows up in domestic abuse too, you know, I didn't mean to hurt you or hit you because I'm I'm just in an angry, upset space. I'm really sorry. I'll never do it again. Right. Right. We see that show up a lot in um, narcissistic personality disorder. Um, I talk a lot about narcissism is along a spectrum. So somebody does not have to be uh, diagnosed as pathological narcissism in order for these behaviors to still be as impactful. And so you're right. That is a very common behavior from somebody who has stronger narcissistic tendencies that they have a really hard time seeing their role in the dysfunction. And so if they lash out, well, it's not because there's something wrong with them, heaven forbid, it's because you made me do it. And so, Mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. We see that a lot in domestic violence, but even what we wouldn't take to that extreme of identifying as domestic violence, there's still a lot of emotional and psychological abuse that, can take place um, that is so covert and so insidious in nature. I know. I, I know there's so many levels of narcissism that are, that go misunderstood and, and they just, yeah. you know, people are unaware. Um, and back to like validating and that apologizing for a second, because one thing I see a lot of, and I think that people miscommunicate or misperceive this as being validating is when you, ex- you're expressing your feelings and someone says to you, I'm sorry you feel that way. So what do you think of that? (laughs) Oh my gosh, the worst. That is so invalidating. And that is not at all taking ownership of your behavior. That is almost putting it on that person, like their feelings are wrong. And so, yes, I talk to people about that all the time. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you think I did this. I'm sorry if you feel that way that those are all also bullshit apologies. And <laughs> yeah. um, that's not going to get you anywhere in your relationship. 
So what would be a better apology then? Like a really genuine, it lets shifting that. Maybe it's something, maybe you say that all the time. Maybe you're like, oh crap, like actually say that all the time. What could I say differently? I'm sorry. (laughs) Simple as that, right? (laughs) Um, Yes. For you to be able to identify what you're apologizing, apologizing for is so important. And so for you to take ownerships, you know, for you to state what it is you're apologizing for. And I'm sorry that that hurts you. Um, I'm sorry that, that, that I did that, but it is not um, to take ownership is then not to put it back on the other person. But what I also talk about, and it's important to note, if your partner did something to hurt you, which did create a reaction, It's crucial that you apologize and you take ownership for your reaction, but that doesn't mean that what took place to trigger it, what took place that caused the reaction just goes unaddressed. Mm -hmm. It was just okay because since my reaction was bigger, what you did is okay and excused. That's not true either. And so there is space for you to come and say, Hey, Cindy, when I yelled at you and called you names, that was not okay. That was really hurtful. And I'm so sorry for that talk through that, bring that repair. But then whether it's that you come back on a different day or you come back later, you can come back and say, I really want to talk through that situation and what led to my reaction, though I'm I'm not justifying it, I'm not excusing it. I really, I need to be heard about what created that. Yeah. And I think so many massive blowups could be avoided in relationships if we approached things in in this kind of open, more a safe space for us to just express our feelings, you know, instead of, of, you know, waiting for it all to build up and then exploding about it and then figuring out where it all came from. And you may never, ever understand that, but being in the moment of where you're actually coming from and using those I statements, because you're not necessarily accusing them. And I think a lot of couples go with this whole, oh, you're always complaining, or you're always nagging at me, and you're always this, you're always that. But there's something underlying there. And if we can feel, create that safe space in your relationship to just be able to say how you feel without jumping to the defense or trying to, to invalidate those feelings. And you said also, you know, validating someone's experience with Without offering a solution is the solution, which we always feel like we, we need to try to fix it. Yeah. But sometimes that's all we need. Right. We we just need someone to sit and hear us and to to reflect it back, to tell us, geez, that must be so hard. Uh, you must, you know, you must be feeling really sad about that. That's it. Like often we don't need anyone's advice. We don't need anyone to tell us what we should do. We just need someone to listen, which can be really hard. And I, I can, I mean, even you've talked about, you know, from a parenting perspective, that can be really hard too. As a parent, you just want to fix it. You want to solve it, but you're really robbing your child of the opportunity to do their own problem solving when you just come up with the solution. Huge. Yeah. A whole like solution-based. I know we always want to fix things. I mean, I'm such a fixer. So it really took a lot of me to just listen and not try to fix everything. And so it's not my, it's my instinct to just let it go. But all this is all, you know, coming down to how this programming shows up when we get divorced and when we break up. And so 
all of that comes, comes to a crux when we aren't able to really identify ourselves and know what to do about it. And so we, we divorce, you know, we split up. What can we do to reprogram ourselves to show up in our next relationship differently? Because sometimes, well, I will say a lot of times, you know, you'll have the person who leaves the marriage and then you'll have the person who's left, who's then sitting in this victim mindset of, of this wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with the breakdown of our marriage. This was because he or she was having a midlife crisis or he or she had an affair or whatever it is, they sit there not taking any ownership of their role in that breakdown because there are two people in a marriage and regardless of the behavior that may be led to the reason that you're here breaking up, there were so many disconnects and the relational patterning that was working programming along the way to lead you here, you know? Yes. And so when you said a few minutes ago, wouldn't it be easier if we just communicated more openly and came from from our emotions and were more expressive with our emotions? Absolutely. But to go full circle, the relational programming is what prevents that from happening. And so if we were not role modeled healthy relationships, if we weren't taught how to openly communicate our feelings, we don't just magically know how. And so a big part of this reprogramming is you have to learn these skills. Um, My favorite tagline, it's on my Instagram, is healing is how we break the cycle. And so we have to heal from that maladaptive programming. We have to heal from those childhood wounds, recognize they were not our fault. We didn't create the problem, but it is now our problem to solve. And so while we were hurt in the midst of all of that, we are now hurting others because of it. And so that's, it's, it's not justified. And so by taking a look into, and and you can do your own timeline, you know, you don't, you don't have to do that with a counselor. I'd certainly recommend it, but you can create your own timeline to identify themes so that you can get an idea of how you show up in relationship. Um, And then part of that is doing the healing of working through those childhood experiences, even working through your previous relationship, right? If, If you are facing a divorce, what is the healing that needs to take place from there? But then starting to recognize your role. And when you're talking about that, I had a client recently who told me it was so powerful to me. She was the person who was left. And we've been working together for quite some time. And that has been the bulk of what we've been processing through is that that hurt and that abandonment. And as we continue to do the work, she actually had a conversation with her ex recently where she called and apologized for her role in it. Mm, Wow. Able to see like I was the one left, but now I'm seeing because we work through the attachment styles and the relational programming, I contributed to this. Huge. Oh, that's so empowering when you're no longer the victim and you can see what is within your circle of control, because then you know what you can change for it to be better next time. Oh my gosh. I told that's huge. I know I was just having this conversation yesterday um, with a life coach friend of mine about that accountability piece. You know, yes, we screwed up. We didn't show up as, as good as we could either, but that's okay. We're learning how to do this. And the more that we take responsibility for that, the actual more empowering it is on us. And holy crap, the like the light that you feel after being able to take responsibility for your role is so, 
it's crazy. Yes, because you're no longer powerless. You're no longer a victim. You can recognize this. These are the things within my circle of control. And even if the things within your circle of control is don't choose narcissistic partners anymore. Don't <laughs> choose avoidant. Don't, you know, choose people with healthier attachment. That is still within your circle of control. And so the only reason you, you remain a victim is if you continue to put yourself in victim situations, but you don't have to do that. You get to be empowered now as an adult. You have resources, you have choices, do the healing to break the cycle. Yeah. And if you're in a relationship, if you're in a marriage, you both are responsible for how it's going. And Absolutely. so use that time now before it gets to the place where it is not fixable anymore and dive into that work now and identify those patterns because we all have them. We all right. have them. So I love that you were here today. This was such a great conversation. I, I could see this going on for hours if we kept going. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Absolutely. And can you tell everybody, where they can find you. Sure. So my website is evolvecounselingaz.com. Um, and then I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Elizabeth Frederick. I spend quite a bit of time there posting. I'm in, I'm in the DMs. I'm happy to engage. Um, that's where you can find me most actively. That's awesome. And you are amazing on Instagram. Your reels oh, are just you. like so to the point. They've got so much great tips that I take away from all the time. I'm always like bookmarking your posts because I'm like, oh, oh thank good. you. So good. <laughs> so I really appreciate you being here this week. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cindy, for having me. I really appreciate it. And coming up next week on Divorce Redefined, I have wealth alchemist Shannon Sagaway will be here to talk about money and our relationship with it and how that impacts the decisions we make in our lives moving forward. She's all about wealth and empowering women with their money. So if you do miss a live show, you can always head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Follow my show there and please make sure to give me a rating and let me know what you think because this show is entirely designed for you. And the more you rate it and the more that you share it, the more people that this can get in front of, because I want the show to reach as many people as possible. Changing the experience of divorce and our relationships is a movement, and you don't have to be getting divorced to support this movement. And it starts by getting the word out there and having these conversations. So if you can rate and review the podcast, talk about us on social media, talk about us with your friends, share this with whoever you think might need it is going to be so helpful in making this change for the better. And I'm so proud to have you here with us today. I'm so happy that you show up because showing up and being able to take something away from this and becoming informed and educated and empowered is the way that we can not only change divorce, but can also help to change our relationships. And we might be able to prevent divorce from happening in the future. So I'm so proud of the show that we have put together. I'm so honored to be able to have such awesome guests like Dr. Fedrick to be here and share with us our, her expertise and to get you in, excited and inspired to make some little changes in your life that maybe you need to. I think we all do. So thanks so much for being here. Um, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.